This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Jeff Woods is the co-founder and president of Productive, the training company behind The One Thing and the host of The One Thing Podcast. Jeff is an advisor to executives ranging from small business owners to Fortune 500 CEOs, helping them design the future of work and create cultures where people are clear on what matters most so they can achieve extraordinary results. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Pleasure to be here. You know, we were doing a lot of talking before we hit record. And I'm like, you know, we should probably record this on a podcast because <laughs> a lot of gold there that we didn't have the recording on. We're going to we're gonna go through this a little bit differently on the show today because as you and I were talking, we were saying, well, there's productivity professionally and there's productivity in relationships. And when you said that, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I've never talked about productivity in relationships. So I think we should talk about that because let's be honest, productivity is not just for work, right? No way. <laughs> Most people are working to live. Some people live to work, but you know, it's, it's really easy to be so focused on building your business or climbing the ladder to look up and ask if it was even leaning against the correct wall or to have left carnage in your path mm-hmm. in terms of the people that mattered, relationships that were neglected, health spirituality that may have been neglected. And at the end of the day, we're doing this because we want to live an extraordinary life. So we have to account for all the areas. hundred percent. And what I mentioned to you before we started recording is I have a wife who's not an entrepreneur, but she's also my best friend and my biggest cheerleader. And there are times when I want to do something in the business, whether it's purchase a product or service or attend a conference or something. And I will go to her and I'll say, honey, I want to buy this thing or I want to take this course. What do you think? And I'll let her read the sales page and then she'll ask me why. And if I can't, we have this relationship where if I can't explain it to her, if I can't justify it, I'm like, okay, well, if it doesn't make sense to her, am I just getting excited because it's a new webinar or a new product? And I think everyone needs to have someone like that in their life, especially if you're married to an entrepreneur. Because if you don't get buy-in from the non-entrepreneur member of the family, I think it's going to be, I think you used the term pulling around an anvil before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we have a fundamental belief. No one succeeds alone. I mean, human beings are, are relationship-based. We don't thrive by ourselves. The problem is when it comes to achievement, especially entrepreneurs, oftentimes we are wired to have a goal and just get after it. (laughs) And if there is resistance, we blow past it. We're the bull in the China shop. The problem is you end up artificially imposing a ceiling over your level of achievement. Because for anybody who is married or has a significant other, you know what it feels like when the two of you are not on the same page. You cannot move forward with the same pace, speed, achieve the same things. So yeah, you got to get on the same page with the people that matter when it comes to your goals. Do you think it is possible, although it's more challenging, do you think it's possible to be a successful entrepreneur and have no encouragement or cheerleading from the other spouse? Yes. You can be successful as an entrepreneur. Will you be successful in life? Maybe not. That's a good point. So productivity in relationships. I have never thought about having that topic on the show before. 
So what does that mean to you, Jeff Woods? Here's where it came from. Um, Everyone who listens to this is likely a goal setter. And if you have a significant other, the odds are they are not a goal setter. It's actually rare that both people are. Is your wife, Mark? You know, I'm laughing because 100% you're right. I am the nerd. I not only do have goals, but I write my goals in my bullet journal every morning. My wife, she's like, eh, you know, so you're exactly right. So we, 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 and when we think about our businesses, we are very purposeful. Every year we set goals and we don't just set the goal and put it on a pretty PowerPoint. We do a business plan to back it up. We have ongoing reviews to make sure that we're on track. And when it's time to set the goals for the next year, we get out of the normal environment. We do a leadership offsite. There is a proven process for doing this in the companies. We don't do that in our personal lives. And so about 15 years ago, my partner, um, who's one of the co-authors of The One Thing, he and his wife realized, let's sit down and let's 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 hire a babysitter. Let's go rent an Airbnb. Let's get out of the house. And let's sit down and let's just talk about what our goals are so we can figure out how to support one another. And it was such a powerful experience that they did it the next year. And then the next year. And then they started telling people about it. And people were like, well, what questions do you ask? So they created a document. And all of a sudden, they've shared it with thousands of people. And then we launched this company based on the one thing. And we realized... We need to, to have a reason for our community to come together. And the one thing couples goal setting retreat was born. This idea that you can take two people, two individuals who are living a life together, whether one is a goal setter or not, and be able to facilitate an experience where you individually and collectively dream, what would an extraordinary life look like for me? And my wife asked the same question. What would an extraordinary life look like for me? You figure that out individually, and then you share your answers. This is immediately when there's conflict because people go, well, what if our answers aren't the same? Spoiler alert, they will not be the same. But Mark, what's the key to marriage? Marriage is all about what? Compromise. Compromise. Mm -hmm. It's about me understanding what's important to me me understanding what's important to you and us having a shared understanding of how we're going to support one another. And based on that vision for our life together, how do we work that backwards to the point that we can say this coming year, this is really what matters to each of us and to us collectively. And now how do we begin to have a rhythm where throughout the year we check in on how are we actually doing? Are we actually having date nights? Are we actually investing in our relationship? oh my gosh, I feel like we just haven't had enough social connection over the last 18 months. We really need to prioritize our our friendships. What can we do this month to do that? All of a sudden, you start living life by design rather than life by default. Well, you got me thinking, sir, because I need to have one of these meetings with my wife. Now, we don't have to go to a B&B because we're empty nesters. We just have the dog. So we'd be able to do this at home very easily. But I'm going to be very honest in saying I haven't done this. I've got my goals, which do incorporate my wife, but she has had no input on those goals. And I think I need to have goals for the business and for my life, but we need to have a relationship goals as well. What do we want to do in the next year, three years, five years, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder how many people are listening to this conversation right now and going, yeah, I never sat down with my spouse and and 
created goals because I don't think people people don't think about goals and relationship. They think goals for business and goals for you know your education or your or your dreams. We don't think about it when it comes to relationships. Here's why this is so important for this audience specifically. We're talking to entrepreneurs. If you are the entrepreneur, you are the person with lots of ideas. You get excited about ideas. You take action fast. What you don't realize is the people you do life with, it's like they're sitting in the backseat of a roller coaster with a blindfold on. They don't know when it's going up. They don't know when it's going down. They don't know when it's going to turn left, when it's going to turn right. And you're just going, come on, but just just get behind me. We're going to go. It's going to be great. But they don't see your vision. And that's where the disconnection is. And this is a chance for them to actually sit beside you, to take the blindfold off, to understand, oh, we're about to go up. Okay, we're about to go on. Let's let's brace ourselves. Okay, we're about to do a hard turn. Okay. You're actually getting, you're, you're living life together. And here's the other thing. Being an entrepreneur is, you you know this, people think it's all glitz and glam. Like, oh, <laughs> This company, they're going to be all successful. They don't see what it really looks like. And this is a chance to enlist the support and buy-in of the people that matter most. I mean, I remember prior to co-founding this company, I was in medical device sales, which was a great job. Woke up every day, ran through hospitals, sold a device that actually saved lives, tried to get my wife to call me McDreamy. You know, great. <laughs> and we made a good living. But deep down, I was lacking fulfillment. I knew I was meant to be an entrepreneur. And I remember when I realized that I needed to make the change, I sat down with my wife and helped her understand, what does this mean? What does it mean to quit a W-2 job to start a company? What does that, what could the income look like? What about security? What about all these things? Like I couldn't make that decision on my own. Yet that's how we normally behave. We just make a decision. We go after it, but we don't enlist the support and buy into the people that matter most. We just expect them to get in line. And we're oftentimes too busy to stop and ask what's important to them and how can I support them? Wow. There's a lot there. But I will tell you this, full disclosure, my wife does know my vision. She knows where I want to go and she's in support of it. So she's never... Because I became an entrepreneur when I got fired from my job back in July of 2005. So I kind of like, instead of getting the W-2 job, I became an entrepreneur. And I literally thought, Jeff, I literally thought, hey, I'm a productivity guy, millions in the first year. No, I'm still waiting for the millions. Because the field of dreams does not exist. Just because you go in the business, people are not going, Mark is a productivity expert. Yay. Here's all my money. It doesn't work that way. I thought that's how it worked. I thought all entrepreneurs were multi-billionaires, but it's not true, sadly. And she has never doubted I would be successful. And in the beginning, I made a lot of stupid mistakes. And I say stupid mistakes because I made these mistakes and I own up to it. I was just paying coach after coach, course after course, conference after conference. And I wasn't checking with her. And I was just saying, this is going to be the course. This is going to be the coach. I didn't vet anybody. I just mm-hmm. saw an ad or something like that. And when I started going through and asking my wife, Michelle, what do you think about this? And like I said earlier, she'd go, that doesn't make sense to me. Now everything shifted. And so I really want to honor you for saying what you said, because not only are you taking your spouse along with you, but because they're not in 
the entrepreneur world, they can see things from a totally different perspective. And they go, why are you doing this? Like, for example, a really small thing I just came to my mind is before I did the podcast interviews, I would do all the artwork and everything like that. And my wife would say, well, what if they cancel? And people invariably cancel, you know, life happens, they get sick, whatever. And I would waste so much time, but by not doing it before the interview, it saved me between 15 and 20 minutes. Well, that adds up seven interviews a week. That adds up to a lot of time. And so just telling her what my goals are, my plan for the day is, what my vision is, and she gives me feedback, she sees it from an entirely different perspective. Totally true. Totally true. Now, you're married, correct? I am. Okay. Now, take us back to a time before, when you're an entrepreneur, if this is even the case, before you used to talk to your wife about these things, but you were an entrepreneur. Did, was that a time, did that time exist? Uh, when I met my wife was when I was still in medical device sales, and we were dating for about six months when my income got slashed by 40%. My colleague had just had a stroke at the age of 35. And you put those two things back to back, I'm realizing, wow, I actually trade hours for dollars, and I'm not actually in control of my compensation plan. That was the spark that ignited the entrepreneurial fire. So for her, it was a little bit of a challenge because, you know, I was working like 30, 35 hours a week in medical sales, making great money. And we were living a great lifestyle, dual income, no kids. Then um, engagement night was baby night. Turns out baby was made in Thailand. She got a onesie for that. We get married. I mean, this all happened extremely fast. And I'm quitting my job to move to Austin to start the company behind the one thing. And uh, it was a very abrupt shift in lifestyle. Very abrupt. But she supported you though. She did. She, she knew deep down that I wasn't happy and she just believed in me. And I don't think she also fully understood what was about to come. I don't think she really understood what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And I mean, we're six years in now and she's just like in the last six months gotten to the point where she no longer looks at the pictures of her friends on Facebook or Instagram and the trips that they're taking or they're buying this for their kids. And she understands they project a life of riches, but they're not actually wealthy. We have made the hard sacrifices for six years we're now wealthy, even though we do not project that to the world. Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. Wow, that's, that's, that's powerful what you just said there. Because the problem with social media is you can say whatever you want, put whatever picture you want, go rent a, a private jet, a Lamborghini, whatever, and it's not reality. And one of the things I learned, one of the big pieces of advice I got from Gary Vaynerchuk is to document instead of create. I mean, you mm -hmm. can find out how to be more productive or how to do better Facebook ads, anything for free on the internet, but you're not going to find my story. 
And so when people who are social selling experts, that's the, that's the big term nowadays. I'm a social selling expert. They're like, well, don't share your life. Just share your, your knowledge of productivity. I'm like, but I want people to know who I am. Mm. And I get more leads and connections and followers and comments because I'm sharing my life instead of just going, I'm Mr. Productivity. Let me show you how to be more productive because it's boring. It's, it's kind of sterile, but every step along the way, my wife has fully supported me. Now we've had to have some very difficult conversations because I have a very unique last name, Strachowski. There's not too many Strachowskis in the world. And sometimes my wife likes to talk about, you know, things that aren't going right in the world. And I'll just leave that for the imagination of the listener. And I'm like, you got to be careful what you say, because it's a real quick jump to go from you to me. And they're going to say, oh, this person, maybe your wife, I don't know, thinks this. Do you think this? So I'm like, and so she's had a, we've had a talk and she agreed with me. She's got to pull it because that she didn't pull back and she got too controversial. It could affect my brand negatively, but we had those conversations. They weren't fights. They weren't you're an idiot. Stop doing this. It was a very loving conversation and say, look it, I don't have a name like John Doe, a name like Stuchowski. You got to be careful. And so if you look at my social media, I never talk about things controversial. I don't get into that pool. A lot of people do. I know that if I had, if I talked about the C and I had a dog in my video, I'd get four or 5 million views, but would any of those become clients? I don't know, but I, it goes back to, what we're talking about having the relationship, having those difficult conversations. I agree. I agree. So for the benefit of the people who, I don't know, who never heard of the book, the one thing let's, let's talk about the one thing. What is the principle? It's so I'm a big fan of simplicity, Jeff. Yeah. I, I, the one thing you can't get more simple than one. So what is the premise of the one thing? The one thing is the surprisingly simple truth <laughs> behind extraordinary results. We're in the business of time. Markets are our most valuable resource. Most people listening to this have a problem though. Their problem is they're spending their time. They're not investing it. I'm talking to you who's listening to this. You ever had one of those days where you were really busy? You looked up at the end of the day and you thought, wow, I was busy. But then you genuinely questioned, what did I get done? I've been there. I've been there. That used to be me. That's a result of you spending your time. The way that our current, we have normalized the idea that when you show up to the office, whether in person or virtual, and you fire up your computer, what's the first thing you check, Mark? Email. Till they go to their first meeting, they get out of their meeting, they got five minutes, so they check. Well, email or you pick up your phone. Yep, yep. Social media, email, text. And then somebody calls you and asks, hey, you got a minute? And because you're a team player and a nice person, you say, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and you're busy all day. Yep. But question what you got done. Mm -hmm. And the high level premise of the one thing is that when you look at all the things that are on your plate, you have an opportunity to stop telling yourself the lie that you have to get them all done. The opportunity is to view them like dominoes. Just like when we were kids, we fundamentally understood. You stand them up, you line them up, you whack away at the first one first. And if you stood them and lined them up correctly by just tapping that first domino, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. This 100% applies 
to both our professional and our personal lives. Every team feels like they have too much to do and not enough time. We have a really simple system that helps leaders transform teams from being busy to being productive so they achieve the things that matter most personally and professionally, period. I I love that concept because, like I said earlier, simplicity. I recently, a couple days ago, came across an article, How to Make Your iPhone More Productive. And I'm like you, I study productivity. I'm always reading articles, books, listening to audiobooks and podcasts. I, cause I want to be able to serve my customers the best I can, but I learned some things from this guy and I, I, I apologize. I don't remember the article right now, but a couple things he said is on the iPhone has got this nasty thing called raise to wake. And so if you just want to move your phone and you move it, it wakes up and you see the notifications. Now, I'm not a zero notifications guy. I'm an intentional notifications guy. So you have to determine whether a notification is going to serve you or distract you. But what I did is just a couple days ago, I turned off the wave, uh, the wake, the raise to wake feature. Real simple, it's in settings. And now if I go move my phone or pick up my phone to put my pocket, the screen doesn't turn on. That alone, I don't see any notifications. That's number one. Number two, they also suggested that you have your wallpaper be black. Number one, it says battery. Number two, you don't want your phone to be like a toy. You want it to be a productivity tool. And the third thing, which he didn't talk about, which just came out with iOS 15. If you have an iPhone, get iOS 15. It's got this thing called scheduled summaries for notifications. So like text messages and stuff like that, you may want delivered immediately or like delivery services or Amazon if you have a delivery pending. But like, let's say you get notifications for Stripe or something like that. You can say, okay, all these apps, I want them to deliver at like 6.30 in the morning before I start work, at lunchtime, and at dinnertime. And if you get any notifications of the app that you actually pick, any other time, it won't show up. It won't show up on your lock screen, anything. And I'm like, this is pretty cool because, like I said, I'm not a zero notifications guy. I'm an intentional notifications guy. And so many people have way too many notifications on or they turn them all off. And I'm like, well, you know, I want my calendar alerts to be on, but I don't think you should have them all on. And I I just think that there are things that are small that we all can do that'll help us be more productive and not picking up your phone. Whenever you have a moment of dullness or boredom, you pick it up and you start using it. Yeah. Well, let's fly up to 10,000 feet. If you take one thing away from this session today, I hope it's that you start to consider how often am I spending my time and how often am I investing it? Mark, you ever invested money before? Of course. What'd you expect when you made an investment? Well, when I did it, when I was younger, I thought I'd get a really quick return on investment. That's, there's the work. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put it in there, trust the system, be patient, and then it, it will eventually grow over time. And at the core of that is you expect a return. What's more valuable, time or money? Time. Okay. So here's here's me, the accountability mirror. Are you holding your time to the same standard you're holding your dollars to? The answer is No. I'm going to immediately take you off the hook. You've never been taught this until today. So you're on the hook after today. You have to start getting really purposeful. When you are working, your goal is to be as efficient and as effective as possible during the hours that you work so that at a pre-prescribed time, you can shut it down and you can go and you can live a great life. 
Now you have to look at the tools that you use. Phone is a big one. And unfortunately, many people, their phones are leading them down the path of spending time rather than investing it. I literally did a training for a company yesterday. I had them open their phone. I had them go into settings. I had them go to their notifications. I had them look at the very first one and ask the question, is this app notifying me more important than me achieving my goals? If the answer is yes, leave the notifications on. Otherwise, turn them off. You can be strategic like, okay, calendar invites help you achieve your goals. That's awesome. I personally never want to see the red bubble of death next to my email icon ever again. I don't need it to tell me how many emails are in there. I don't care. In fact, I've moved the email icon off the main screen. I have to swipe right to even see the icon so I do not just habitually click it because my priorities do not live in my inbox and yours don't either. I'm not saying don't check email. I'm saying make a conscious decision to check email rather than be pulled into it. Instead, we teach people to get clarity on their priorities, get clarity on the 20% priorities that are going to drive 80% of your results. Have your calendar reflect your priorities. And when you show up for that appointment with yourself, which we call a time block, you invest your time doing the most important thing. And you acknowledge that now is not the time that I'm responsive to the channel of email. Now is not the time that I should hear my phone ring, ding, or buzz because I'm doing the most important thing. And if doing the most important thing is the most important thing, then I'm not going to do any, anything else during that time. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. And I will tell you... I mean, it's easy. But it is simple. Exactly. I will tell you on my home screen, I've got three things. My calendar, my screen time, and the weather. Now, why screen time on there? Every time I unlock my phone, right there it says, okay, this is where you're really spending your phone uh, time when you open the phone. So I'm very intentional. I don't have bad counts on my phone for any app. Okay. I They're very annoying. They're, they're, they're calling out your name. You don't need that. I also have disabled vibration mode. That way, if I put my phone and I usually do like right now on do not disturb, but if I'm going to read, um, again, iOS 15 has got this new feature called focus, which I love. So instead of DND is all or nothing focus, it says, okay, when I'm doing this task, the only app I want to bother me is the calendar app. See DND, you can't do that. So I kind of like what they're doing with that, but I think people need to stop and, and listen to what you said. And hopefully what I said on the show and these are ideas that anybody can do. Probably Pareto's principle is still very valid when it comes to notification. 80% of them can just turn it off. You don't need to know when someone tags you on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. You don't. When you go into the app, it's still going to be there. But if you want to talk about social media, are you using social media or is social media using you? See, I don't spend a lot of time consuming social media because I know it's a it's an endless scroll of wasting my time. And the final point I'll make is I'm very intentional about my time. I schedule my time every day. So I schedule time to read. I schedule time to create podcasts. I schedule time, you know, obviously for coaching clients. Most people only schedule the real appointments like client calls, but then they've got these gaps of one to two hours. I'm like, what are you going to put in there? Is it just like playtime? And there's something magical when you actually, like you said, you actually say, this is what I'm going to get done today these things. And you put them on your calendar. Too many people I deal with, leave them up in their head. Well, 
when you leave them in your head, the chance of you getting those things done, if you even remember them, is pretty small. Hey, you, listening to the Mark Stuchowski podcast, thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Stuchowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to MrProductivity.com. M-I-S-T-E-R, MrProductivity.com. So I'll share our stance on this. One, look at your calendar for the week and ask the question, are these, my, are these really my priorities? If I do these things, will it drive 80% of my success? Most people, the answer is going to be no. Again, take yourself off the hook. If, if, it, if the answer is yes, great. You're just, you got a head start. We fundamentally do not believe in blocking off everything. And here's why, Mark. Um, you can block off every hour of every day. And if you deviate or fail to honor one appointment, how do you feel? I will answer this by saying it depends if it is something like, like I'm a big reader, so I schedule my time to read. But if I don't get to that reading that particular time chunk, I don't feel bad. Now, if it's something like creating a training or something that's a high importance, I do feel kind of bad. I think you're the anomaly. Probably. I've I think it's called worse. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think most people, when they if they set their calendar and they don't follow it, they feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. And the thing about human nature is we're only going to let ourselves feel like failures for so long before we rewrite the rules, yep. i.e. quit, so we don't have to feel like a failure anymore. So we have a saying, think big, go small, trust the dominoes will fall. I love that. Think big, um, cast a vision for your life, being the most productive you could possibly be. Go small. Let go of the lie that you have to follow everything. Let's start by blocking time for one thing. One thing that really matters. Not to say that there aren't other thing on your other things on your calendar, but you are going to set a time block that you are going to focus on and protect to do the most important thing that day. And make it small. Make it 15 minutes. Make it something you absolutely can do so that you knock the domino down. Because if day after day after day, you identify your one thing, you time block your one thing, and you protect that time block, I don't care what you do the rest of the day. You become the type of person who is clear on what matters and does what matters. And this is where the domino effect takes over. Because all of a sudden, instead of 15 minutes, it becomes 30. It becomes an hour. It becomes two. It becomes four. And you get to the point, like my calendar at this point, 80% plus of it are 20% priorities that drive 80% of the results. Because you get so successful, the business starts to build. And then you look up and you go, oh, snap, what am I doing that's not within my 20%? I'm missing a person or I'm missing a system. And then you start to build the team out. And over time, you get to the point where you are literally living in your genius zone, doing the two to three things you do exceptionally well, and you shouldn't be doing anything else. Wow. Now, I read research, number of research, actually, that how long should people work in full focus? You know, whether you talk about um, deep focus from Cal Newport or the guy who wrote the book Flow, I can never say his name. He's got like a long name. You know who I'm talking about. Milai, whatever. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. Yeah. So they've done research that I think I first heard this from Brendan Burchard, where he says the optimal that they've done from, you know, high performers is working for 52, 
and then taking a 17 minute break. That seems kind of odd because there's part of us that says, oh, it's got to add up to 60 minutes. No, it doesn't have to add up to 60 minutes. For me, when I schedule my time, I do it in 50 minute chunks. So I work for fully focused for 50 minutes and then I get up, I go walk around, maybe throw the ball outside with the dog, go get some water or something like that. That works for me. And I want people to understand that there's no magic system. Maybe it's 30 minutes for you or 15 or 22. I don't want people to get um, obsessed about the numbers just because the studies say 52, 17. Don't get obsessed about the numbers. You got to figure out what works for you. And like you said, do that one thing. And maybe that's 90 minutes for you. I, I don't care. But I think you need to figure that out just so if nothing else, so you're aware of it. Because I know for me, I can't work. 30 is too short. 60 is too long. So I settled on 50 minutes. That's where I came up with. No science. I didn't like spend months trying to figure it out. But if you, if all things created equal and you had to choose, what would you say is your most effective length of time you can go without, before you need a break? I think my answer may surprise you. I think that question is a distraction. Okay. I can spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is the ideal amount of time that I could work, dial it in, and spend that time doing the wrong things. I was, I was really efficient and effective at doing the unimportant things. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue for most people is they don't actually know what their priorities are. I agree. I, you know, for us, we stay at a very high level. This is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. We don't get too much into tactics. We live at high level truths that are timeless. Are you clear? Really clear on what your priorities are. Like I can tell you this year, I have three priorities in order of priority, growth, vision, ambassador. Drive, I know exactly how many hours of lead generation I have to do to drive exactly a set number of dollars for revenue for the business. Vision, I know exactly how many time blocks I need to have over the course of the year where I am benchmarking other companies so that I can see where the puck is going. An ambassador, I know exactly how many podcasts I need to be on, how many stages I need to be on. Those are my 20% priorities. Everything else is everything else. It is that clear. My question for you who's listening to this is if I handed you a pen and a piece of paper and said, ready, set, go, could you write down your 20% priorities in less than five seconds? Mm. Most people, the answer is no. And again, I'm taking you off the hook. You've got to get clear on what you need to be saying yes to first before you earn the right to talk about other things. Steve Jobs is a perfect example of this. Mark, when he came back as CEO of Apple from 1997 to 1999, he did something radical. He took the company from 350 active projects down to 10. Yep. He literally shut down 340 things. Imagine if you had to take a machete to your calendar and cut out 340 things so that you could say yes to the vital few. Mm-hmm let alone saying no to all the other shiny objects, opportunities, ideas, and keep beating the drum on the 10 most important things for an entire organization. Apple went on to become one of the most valuable companies in the world. Yep. We did this with um, a Fortune 500 company, major logistics company. We were working with the VP of airline technology. When he first heard of this idea of the one thing, he sat back and he was a little confused because 
in his mind, he imagined an image of this freeway in China. It's, I want you to imagine a freeway, 50 lanes wide, and every day traffic backs up for miles leading up to a toll booth. And he said, Jeff, this is, this is my organization. Every car represents another thing my team has to do. Wow. And here he is going, but what's the one thing? Of everything that's on our plate, if we could only do one, what is actually most important? And he realized it was this car at the very back, major priority, major priority. And it had been sitting there for six years, mm. just inching forward, Mark, because of everything else that was ahead of it getting to the toll booth. And so he learned to ask a different question. How do I create a fast lane? How do I create a business plan that truly unites and aligns all my people that this is the most important thing and creates an environment when every person comes into work every day, they ask, how is what I'm doing today lining up with that big thing before I earn the right to do anything else? Mark, how long do you think it took them to accomplish this massive priority that had been sitting there for six years when the team was actually aligned? I, I imagine rather quickly. I don't know how many months it was, but I'm pretty sure it happened pretty quickly. Two weeks. Wow. Two weeks. Because that's what happens when you get clear on what matters and you do it. Mm-hmm. And every single one of you has had a similar experience. It's called the day before vacation miracle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, the final day, you crush stuff. You get it done because you got a deadline and you are so clear on what needs to happen that saying no to the other things becomes a lot easier. So before we earn the right to look at what's the latest trick, what's the latest research, what is this? Just start with something simple. What are your priorities? That is that is so powerful because I have friends who will tell me, "Hey, have you seen this thing on Facebook or Instagram or whatever?" And and I actually ask them those questions you just asked us. I'm like, "How is that supposed to help me with my vision?" Cause I don't see a correlation and they're like, Oh, you're just so boring. You're just so sterile. I'm like, no, you don't have a vision. I know where I want to go. I have clear. And you're right. There is an epidemic of lack of clarity in our country, in our world. People are obsessed with TikTok and clubhouse and LinkedIn, but is that part of your vision? Now, if you want to become a major influencer and you want to be able to sell advertising on your post, maybe it is part of your vision, but I would agree with you. I think most people aren't clear. They have no vision. They're just in reactive mode every day. And all you have to do, matter of fact, I, I journal every morning. And one of the questions I ask is it's, it's framed around the one thing. Like, what is one thing? What is one thing I could do today that's going to make today really awesome? And what I answer this question as is like, what do I have to do today that's going to get me close to my goal, toward my vision? Most people don't even think about this. They get up, they after they hit the snooze bar three or four times, then they're rushing in the morning. They have no plan. But the the idea you gave us is set that intentionality. What do you want to do today? And how is that going to help you in your vision? But you can't ask that question if you don't have a vision because you're not clear. And so I think you said this in the beginning of the episode, you need to sit down and go, what is my vision? What is my goal? And write those things down because it's very difficult to go on a trip if you don't know where you're going to go. You're just going to be like going down streets and not ever wind up any place that you want to be probably. I agree with what you said. Here's the challenges the person listening to this is going to have. They're going to ask, what's my vision? And some are going to think, I don't know. 
Our education system taught us to have the answer, not to search for it. Yet what makes a great leader, great business person is the ability to ask big questions and search for the answers and to search past the wall of I don't know. So I'll walk you through a framework that you can do here. Um, and this is, this is the framework of that couple's goal-setting retreat that I was mentioning. We start by asking, um, what do you want life to look like someday from now? You get to identify what someday is. For me, it's 20 years. Some people, it's 10. Here's the thing. Um, don't pick a number that's small just because that feels comfortable. Just because you can't see that far yet doesn't mean you, you can't learn how to search. Because I guarantee, let's use 20 years as an example. I sat down and I asked, okay, what would extraordinary spirituality look like 20 years from now? And I really searched. I sat in the silence and searched. And I just started to write down what came to my mind. Okay, what would extraordinary physical health look like? What would extraordinary an extraordinary personal life look like if I had great hobbies? What about my relationships? What would those look like if they were really extraordinary in 20 years? How would I describe them? What about my job? What would that look like if it was extraordinary? Meaning my role within the organization. What about my business overall? What would that look like if it was extraordinary? And what about my finances? I guarantee if you give yourself the space to search for those answers, you will come up with answers. Now, not every one of them become goals. You then look at the ones and ask, which one of these really matter to me? Like really galvanize me that I need to have a relationship with those goals. Just like when you met your wife, Mark, you didn't just drop down on one knee and propose on the first date. And you also didn't do the exact opposite, which is to say, I really like you. Let's get together in a year and see how it's going. (laughs) That's how most people set goals. They set them and they forget them. We have a relationship with our goals. We visit them. We date them. When things are going well, we raise the bar. When, they, when we're off track, we change our activities. So you figure out what those are, and then you bring it backwards. Okay, well, where would I have to be in five years to be on track for someday? I don't know. Okay, ask it again. Search for the answer. You will figure it out. Then you can go, well, if that's five years, where do I have to be in one year? Then you go, oh, well, I'd have to do this. Here's the beauty of this. Instead of seeing all the things that you could do this year, which entrepreneurs are great at, lots of ideas, you now see, here's the things I have to focus on this year to be on track for five, to be on track for 10. Then you can put a plan in place for how you're going to actually tackle that to the point that you can go, okay, well, here's the three to five things I got to do this month to know that I'm on track. And if you know that, Here's the three to five things I got to do this week. Then you look at your calendar and go, oh, my calendar doesn't have time for those things. And that's when you have to realize, okay, I've got to say yes to what matters most. So what am I going to say no to? What am I going to get off my plate? What am I going to cancel? What am I going to stop doing so I can start blocking time to knock these tiny dominoes down on a weekly basis so my actions are in alignment with a life I want to live? Wow. That is what you know call a mic drop. That that is that is powerful, Jeff. I I I really mean that. I mean that is that's really powerful and I'm I have a lot more clarity than most people I've met, but I'm going to revisit this because I don't think you can revisit your clarity and your vision enough. I mean, well if you do it every 5 minutes obviously, but I think if you have a vision and you are somewhat clear, 
you need to revisit that as a result of this conversation. So Jeff, I really appreciate you sharing your insights on the show today. Where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Yeah, sure. So our website's the one thing.com. That's with the number one in the URL. So the one number one thing.com on there. You can learn about the goal setting retreat that we do. It's actually coming up here in November. It's going to be virtually based. So you guys can join from all around the world. You can also learn about how we actually help companies live this way. Uh, our podcast is called the one thing that's like the cover, the title of the book, the O N E T H I N G. And then if you Google Jeff Woods with a G G E O F F I rank at the top. So you can find me on LinkedIn there. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the show. Absolute delight to have you here and to learn from you. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Hey, are you a Mark Stucheski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter where I will send you value multiple times a week. And I promise you, every time I send an email out to my insiders, it always has value. So if you want to sign up, absolutely free. Just head on over to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com.